this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Next week I shall be just visiting. Should we just pray? Father, we're going to continue to worship you as we bow down in your presence, bow our hearts before your word, and submit to you. And as we do so, Lord, will you reveal our hearts to us and show us who we are in your presence. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. My favorite psalm is Psalm 139. My second favorite psalm is 119. And I did preach through it once in the previous church that I was at. And it took me a long, long time because actually I I spent about uh, four or five or maybe half a dozen Sunday evenings on just one verse. (laughs) This psalm reminds me of a place. I I don't know if you ever find that things or maybe even scriptures, remind you of a place. that This psalm reminds me of Pizza Express in Notting Hill Gate. (laughs) Because I was having lunch in Pizza Express because I worked just round the corner in a builder's merchant. And I always took my Bible with me lunchtime to read it. And this was the first time I read Psalm 139. I'm just going to read just one or two verses from it because of time. The first verse, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Verse 5 and 6, Tim has already mentioned something like this in the word that he brought. He actually used the phrase of being hemmed in. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Verse 17. How precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, They are more than the sand. I wake and I am still with you. Verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. My Bible says this is a psalm of David. And I 
imagine that maybe David was round about my age when he wrote this psalm. Certainly not a young man. I, I, I imagine that one evening he, he was relaxing in the cool of the day and just meditating on how God had worked in and through his life. And he would go through maybe the major events of his life. When as a, a young teenager, one of his brothers ran to where he was looking after the sheep and said, come quickly, Samuel the prophet has come to our house and, well, all of your brothers have been presented to him and none of them is going to be anointed king. So it must be you, David. And David went before Samuel. And Samuel poured the oil upon him. Because God said to Samuel, God doesn't look at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. Oh God, you've searched me and known me, David said. And having been anointed as king, he went on to kill Goliath and to lead the armies of Israel to victory after victory after victory so that the the women in Israel used to sing a song. This was number one in the charts. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. And so Saul became jealous and he became hate-filled. So he tried on numerous occasions to kill David. And David would have thought about that. About the time when he was an exile, running from place to place, being harassed and chased by Saul, even ending up with the Philistines, the enemy of Israel. he would have thought about the years, the seven years that he spent in Hebron as king over Judah. And then the years that he had spent as king of Israel. The ups and the downs, the the victories and the personal defeats. You can think of Bathsheba, Absalom, having to run away from one of his own sons and then restoration. And he said, God has searched me and known me. This psalm is not in scripture just for the sake of us knowing David's thoughts. This psalm is in scripture because it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, to teach us that just as God searched David and knew him, so he searches every one of us and knows us. And there are some W's, words beginning with W, to think about in the first few verses. You know when 
I sit down and when I rise up. I know this is not good English, but God knows all the whens of our life. All the times that we did whatever we've done. Everything. God knows when we did it. And then you discern my thoughts from afar. God knows all the whys of our lives. Why we did what we did. Because before there is an action, there is a thought. And behind the thought, there is a motive. God knows all the whys. You search out my path and my lying down. He knows all the where's of our life. He knows when we did everything, why we did everything, and where we did everything. You're acquainted with all my ways. Our when's, why's, and where's They make up who we are, our character. And for every one of us, that's different. We're all different characters. When we do things, and why we do things, and where we do things, it's different for all of us. They are our ways. And God is interested to know our ways and actually we should be interested also to know who we are what is our character what are our ways when you know someone's ways you know them and uh, it's an old saying I know but it's true to know somebody you have to live with them because then you get to know their ways. It says in one of the other Psalms, I think it's Psalm 103, that God revealed his acts to the children of Israel and his ways to Moses. So while the children of Israel saw what God did, God revealed himself to Moses. And then, of course, there's one other W that's very important. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Before you say anything, God knows what you're going to say. Because he knows you. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of who you are, your character, your ways, the mouth speaks. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God knows everything about me. He knows everything about you. Now, if you're a Christian and you're walking in the will of God 
and you're seeking to please God, that should not scare you. If you know that God loves you, that should not scare you. This is not Big Brother, 1984. God is not spying on you. He is searching you to know you. You say, well, God knows everything anyway. Yeah, but God knows everything anyway because he searches. He doesn't just sit on his throne and do nothing. If you read in the book of Revelation, you'll find the revelation of God is that he sees everything. He is everywhere and he knows everything. But such knowledge, the way God knows me and the way God knows you, David says, and the way God knew him is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain to it. The particular verse that I remember when I was reading this in Pizza Express was verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit, David says. And I was thinking, well, I don't want to go from your spirit. I don't want to flee from you. I want to be with you. I don't actually ever want to be away from you, God. But David asked the question anyway, where shall I go from your spirit? God knows us because there is no escape from his spirit, from his presence. We heard it again uh, from Tim in the word that he gave. If God is going to fire you out somewhere as an arrow is fired, God is going to be with you because there is no place anywhere in the whole of the universe where God is not. Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. Well, yeah, we know that. But maybe David is thinking about the heavens or the heaven around the earth, just the atmosphere. So if you're scared of flying, the Lord is with you up there. However many thousand feet you are up, God is there. His presence is with you. And so, well, I used to be scared of flying, but I actually love it now. I really do. I know that God is with me up there. And when I look down on this wonderful earth that God has created, it's awesome, amazing. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Uh, if you have an old King James version, it says hell. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. In actual fact, if you read the book of Revelation and study it, you'll find even in the lake of fire, God is there. People have thought, well, hell is where God is not. God is everywhere because it talks about those in that torturous place forever being in the presence of the Lamb. 
God is everywhere. Among the dead. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the Pacific Ocean. David says the sea in this psalm. He would have been thinking about the Mediterranean Sea. But we can think of, say, maybe the Pacific Ocean. Somewhere in some outlandish place, some little island somewhere. God is there. Even there your hand shall lead me. We've heard that already this morning. If God has spoken to somebody about going, then be sure that the presence of God will go with you because there is nowhere that you can be where God is not. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, the night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light to you. Go down to the deepest cave with no light or with a light and turn the light out. In total darkness, God is there. His presence is there. God knows me because he searched me because he is everywhere. God knows me and he has searched me because he actually formed me. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. We are not accidents. We are not here as purely the result of a biological process when our parents came together. There's far more to us than that. Because God has formed me and he has formed you. God was involved in your creation. Just as he was involved in creating Adam. He created Adam from the dust and breathed into him life. And that life that he breathed into Adam is the same life that you have. It's just over many, many generations. Yes, I know it's been marred. I know it's been spoiled by sin. I know it's been corrupted. And your DNA has been corrupted. And that's why you have sickness and disease. And your mind has been corrupted. And your heart has been corrupted. But if you're a Christian, you have the life of God birthed in you, which is perfect. Without any corruption, without any death. Without any sin, 
God has birthed in you his very nature which is sinless and incorruptible and immortal. And that's why one day your body is going to take on immortality. Because the life of God can't be kept down. It will overcome everything else that is against it. It's interesting the language David, David by the Holy Spirit, I should say, and emphasize, David by the Holy Spirit, the language he uses here is very interesting. You knitted me together. I was intricately woven. This isn't just poetic language. It's reality. From what we know today about how you and I are made and how you and I live and exist in our lives and how we continue to live over years and years and years with every seven years our whole body being renewed, we are literally knitted together and intricately woven in our DNA. David didn't know that, but of course the Holy Spirit did. And it's interesting to note how things that maybe people would just say, well, that's poetic language. It's actually more than that. Because God, God has formed me. And I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God? How vast is the sum of them? Because before any, anything of me actually came into being, God had a book written with all the days that he had formed for me, already written out. This is why killing a baby in the womb is so wrong, so sinful, so evil, because God has formed that baby and God has already written out, but man blots out. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. God planned. God thought. God brought you and I into being. And he has a purpose for our lives, for our good and for his glory. Now David is sort of really, I was going to say carried away, yeah, carried away. We can quite rightly be carried away with um, meditating on the greatness, the vastness, the wonder of our God who knows us, who is everywhere and who formed us. But David seems in the next few verses, to get on his high horse. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them that hate you, O Lord? 
And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Wow. That's, that doesn't seem to fit with the rest of this psalm, does it? It just seems to come out of the blue from somewhere, out of David's heart. He's sitting there meditating on God and on how God has been so good to him and how God has searched him and knows him. And he feels comforted in the knowledge of that search because he knows that God loves him. And so it seems to me that David gets on a bit of a high horse here. Now, there are plenty of men of bloodshed still around on the earth, as there were in David's day. We hear about it on the news nearly every day at the moment. And we could, and maybe we do, get on a high horse and utterly condemn them. Well, their actions, of course, are to be utterly condemned, but... I, I, it reminds me of James and John when Jesus went to a village of Samaria and they wouldn't receive Jesus. And James and John said, shall we call fire down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. I didn't come to destroy, I came to save. God has a day of judgment, God has a day of destruction for the wicked. But that's in God's hands. Not in ours. And it's not for us to get on a high horse. And, and just as Jesus rebuked James and John, I, I just feel that the Holy Spirit, as David is meditating, and he comes out with this, I, I just feel that God rebukes him. As God would, would rebuke us. If we got on a high horse. Yes we have enemies. Yes we have people who hate us. But what does the scripture say? Love your enemy. Give a drink to those who hate you. Be not overcome of evil. But overcome evil with good. But in the next two verses, David is humbled. He gets off his high horse. Because having said that he knows that God has searched him without ever having asked his permission to be searched, he then says to God, I want you to search me. You have searched me, but God, I want you to search me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Why does, why does David say search me when he knows that God has already done it? He said so. Well, it's because David wants to know what God has found out about him. David wants to know himself as God sees him. He's reached that stage of maturity. You know, if you don't want to know how God sees you, you'll stay immature. But if you want to grow in grace, 
if you want to grow in the character of God, if you want to grow in sanctification, then you want to know how God sees you. And so David says, search me, know my heart, try me, put me in the furnace. This is talking about how metals are tried. They put in a furnace so all the impurities can come out. You try me. Well, God did that, didn't he? One summer's evening, when David was on his rooftop and he looked over and he saw a woman bathing. God was trying him to show David what was in his heart. And what was in his heart? Self-righteousness. Because when Nathan the prophet came to him and told him the story about the man and the little lamb, David said, who is this man? He's got to die. Nathan said, you're the man. And David's self-righteousness was wrenched out of him at that moment. Try me. God will try us. It says about Hezekiah that God left him alone to see all that was in his heart. Didn't mean to say that, you know, God completely abandoned him, but he just let him go his own way. Just to see what was in his heart. And God will do that. Just to show you who you are. Because until we know who we are and see ourselves as God sees us, we are not going to say what David says right at the end of this psalm. And lead me in the way of, in the way everlasting. Unless we know the things in our hearts that grieve God, we're not going to be willing to be led. So, if we're going to mature and be led, we need to pray this prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's anything in me that grieves you and lead me in the way everlasting. Sunday morning.